The college football playoff has officially got a 5 plus 7 format, and that's good news for Oregon. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to or watch this show. Thank you to all of you who have done so. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Use code Locked On for $20 off your very first purchase. Download Game Time to Day. Ify Obadegwu film breakdown coming later and a men's basketball question to uh, end today's show. But we start today's show with a piece of college football news. So, Kirk Schultz, the president of Washington State, has officially voted to allow for, because they needed a unanimous consensus here and they have finally gotten it, a five plus seven format for the college football playoff in 2024 and 2025. Now, for those of you who are not aware or those of you who are not watching or subscribing over at Locked On College Football, should be biggest stories in the greatest sport on planet earth but i'll bring you up to speed the college football playoff does not currently have a structure for 2026 and beyond it's only the next two seasons but going to a five plus seven format absolutely helps oregon was this ever going to actually remain as the six highest ranked conference champions and six at-large berths probably not it was technically possible But that would have resulted in two group of five conference champions getting in. Now, the answer will just be one. Now, me personally, I am not a fan of at-large berths being, or or I'm not a fan of anything except at-large berths. I am not a fan of automatic qualifiers. I think it is ridiculous. But for Oregon, this situation is most helpful because going into the Big Ten in 2024, Oregon is one of the two favorites there. And if Oregon reaches their potential or at least gets close to it, right, as they did a season ago, didn't hit their full ceiling last year, but came very close to doing so. They do that again, they're a shoe in for the playoff. If you make the Big Ten championship game, that means Oregon has won at minimum 10 games. And I have a hard time seeing them getting left out of the playoff. Now, to make the Big Ten championship game, you might need to win 11. There there might only be room for one loss on the schedule because you no longer have divisions in the Big Ten. So it's going to be as it was in the Pac-12. And all of college football is moving in this direction, as they should, because you know, I'll get to this in a moment. Divisions don't make a whole heck of a lot of sense, just like automatic qualifiers don't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. But I digress only momentarily, though. It's the top two teams. So Oregon could play Ohio State at Autzen Stadium uh, in October, which is going to be a fascinating football game on October 12th, to say the least. And they could lose that game, but win every other game, see Ohio State again in the Big Ten championship game. They could lose to them again. And guess what? Oregon would be in the 12-team playoff because with that extra at-large berth, it almost guarantees that the teams that make the Big Ten championship game are both going to the college football playoff, which is part of the reason I don't like the playoff. But you know what? Whatever. That's just the world we have. I'm taking the world as it is, not as we would like it to be. I guess that makes me on the side of S.H.I.E.L.D. instead of Captain America in Captain America the Winter Soldier, which I don't like. I don't like because I'm on cap side there. I'm always on cap side. I am team cap through and through. Anyway, so I think that for for the Ducks, 
this is a good piece of news. This is a positive development because that at-large spot being there, I, I have a hard time seeing the Big Ten and SEC championship game participants not getting in. What will be on the line in those conference title games are a first round bye. So there's still some incentive to win or something, you know, on the line or stakes, but they're not quite as great as they were last year when Oregon had to win just to get into the playoff. And it kind of was its own de facto playoff game a, a season ago. That's a very rough uh, snapshot of why I, I don't care for these changes and such, but it helps Oregon because going into the big 10, I feel great about where Oregon's at. Dan Lanning, yep, he's the man. Roster, yep, it's really, really good. Returners, yep, got a bunch of those as well. Everything is there. Recruiting, transfer portal, depth, talent, versatility. I look at Oregon and say, yep, all the ingredients are there to make a run to the Big Ten Championship game. And I I think it's interesting to think about, I might explore this more on tomorrow's show now that I think about it, how many games would Oregon have to win? Could it just be 10? I think the answer is probably 11. Because when you look at Oregon's non-conference slate, it's Idaho, it is uh, Boise State, and then it is at Oregon State. Those are the three non-conference games. Those should be three wins for the Ducks. Should be should be three wins. You don't have a marquee non-conference game. You know, it would have been Texas Tech. They put in Oregon State instead. Oregon State will be a good team. I don't know how often they'll crack the top 25. If they end up winning you know, 10 games this year, they they could absolutely crack the top 25 because they've got Cal and Oregon and Purdue on their schedule. So if they were to lose to Oregon and, you know, maybe a a Boise State or somebody in the Mountain West, yeah, that, that could be a top 25 win and bolster Oregon's resume. But when you look at the Big Ten, between Ohio State, Penn State, and, you know, Vegas still believes in Michigan. I personally am not. I don't know what the Wolverines are doing at quarterback. So I, I don't see that, you know, their win total is nine and a half compared to Oregon, Ohio State at ten and a half. Washington's at seven and a half. Wisconsin, I think, is at seven and a half. I think 11 wins gets you in assuredly. I think 10 wins probably gets you in. Now, Oregon doesn't play Penn State. That's that's where it gets kind of complicated. If you lose two big 10 games, I think you introduce a lot of other variables. But I think Oregon is more than capable of going 11 and 1 in 2023. So if they do that, then the playoff is going to be there for them. But if you just think about the 12 playoff spots for next year, you'll have the ACC, Big 12, Big 10, and, and, and SEC champions. But then the teams that lost those conference championship games, look at last year, for instance. In the Big 10, it was because they had divisions, which is dumb. I'll get to that in just one moment here. It was Ohio State, or sorry, it was Michigan, and they were playing, I think, Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. Yeah, they, they played Iowa. Well, Iowa wasn't going to get in there. But if they had taken out divisions, which are dumb, it would have been Ohio State, Michigan. Loser is still going to get into the playoffs. So I think you're going to have four teams from the Big Ten and the SEC minimum, and that's the conference championship game participants. I think you'll have the group of five champion. There's five big 12 ACC champions, six, seven, and then five more at large spots. And I think even a 10 and two Oregon team that doesn't make the big 10 championship could get into that, uh, that uh, 12 team playoff there. So depending on who your losses are, are, are two certainly, but I think you'd probably have to beat one of Ohio state and Michigan. But if you lost to Washington, God forbid, and Ohio state, but you beat Michigan on the road, you beat Wisconsin on the road and they have a good year and Oregon state is a good season. Yeah. 10 and two might be able to get you there. But here's the thing on divisions. The thought that I talked about earlier and I'm coming back to now, the premise of getting rid 
of divisions is not congruent with the premise of giving automatic qualifiers and automatic buys to the four highest seeded or highest ranked conference champions. Because what you are doing is rewarding a team for an element of randomness or geography. And that is not inherently logical. Because the divisions, like last year, for instance, did the two best teams in the Big Ten meet in the Big Ten championship game? No, they did not. Did that happen in the Pac-12? Yes, it did. Why? Because the Pac-12 didn't have divisions. Because in the old system, a team would have benefited, I think it would have been Arizona, from having an inferior season in the regular season compared to Oregon, no head-to-head. Arizona would have been in by lieu of, well, you know, we also lost to Washington, but we're playing in the South and we won the South. Well, the automatic qualifier thing to the college football playoff doesn't make any sense. Who's to say that the Big 12 and the ACC every year are going to produce a team whose conference champion is automatically one of the four best and most deserving in college football? It's not. It's not. But you could benefit from that because you get the conference championship label. You could be a 10-3 and three team. Notre Dame gets screwed by this more, more than anybody. And I'm not someone who makes a habit of coming on here and just defending Notre Dame all the time and saying this, that, and the other thing. But... They get absolutely screwed by it. Say Notre Dame goes eleven and one, and a ten and three ACC team is your is your is your conference champion. That ten and three ACC team that may very well have lost to Notre Dame would would be getting a bye, and Notre Dame would have to play an extra game. The logic does not align, but on the whole, this is good news for Oregon in the twelve team playoff. They should fit into it every single year. Like that That's the standard for success when you expand the playoff like this. And if you look at the last couple of seasons, Oregon would have been in a great spot. They certainly would have made it in 2023. 2022, I'd have to go back and double check, but 2019, they certainly would have made it. 2021, maybe, maybe, possibly. The win at Ohio State certainly would have helped, but... This is where the expectations should absolutely be for the Ducks. Where should our expectations be for Ifeo Badegwu? Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about game time first, because game time, as you may know for everydayers out there, is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. Right now, all users get $100 off when you buy a big game ticket with code VEGAS100. They've got killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. They're obsessed with felt with helping you find ways to save money on tickets. They've got deals on tickets right up to the start of the event, even an hour after it starts. It's the place to find last-minute seats. So go take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time right now. All Game Time users get a hundred dollars off a big game ticket with code Vegas100. Terms apply. Just download the Game Time app. Use code VEGAS100 for $100 off a big game ticket. Or if you're not going to the game, use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Speaking of guaranteed, second segment sips guaranteed to give you the highest quality show possible. Thanks so much for being tuned in. If you want to be a part of the mailbag, did you know that you can do that? Whether you're an everydayer or not, YouTube comments or X, formerly known as Twitter, at S McLaughlin CFB or at Locked On Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open. If you want priority access and you want to be a Locked On Ducks insider, get breaking news and immediate reactions delivered right to your phone. Go join the flock over at Subtext. Link in the description below wherever you listen to or watch this show. Not a requirement. 
of course. It's a free 14-day trial, then just $5 a month. You get all sorts of perks, as I mentioned, but there are still plenty of ways to ask a question and get it answered right here on the show. The mailbag, full disclosure, is completely empty right now. So if you get a question in, it's going to be answered rather quickly here on the show. So let's dive into Ifi Obadegu. My goal has been, continues to be, and we will continue to churn it out, is to have an assessment of every single 2024 high school recruit for the Ducks in this class so that you have a full understanding of what to expect from these guys. We go through all sorts of key information, and Ifi Obadegu is up next. Cornerback, 2024 cycle, six one and a half. 195 pounds, four-star recruit from St. Francis Academy in Baltimore, Maryland, which a couple times in the last two or three years, I'd say, Oregon has gotten a kid from all the way back east. If you had any doubts about Oregon being a national brand on the recruiting trail, Baltimore, Maryland to Eugene, Oregon. Brand power, it's a real thing. He was the teammate of a former Oregon commit, but since decommit Michael Van Buren at the quarterback position, Oregon is, of course, loaded uh, at the quarterback spot. You've got Dylan Gabriel, Dante Moore, Luke Moga, and Austin Novosad all on the roster for, for 2024. According to 24-7 Sports, Obadegwu is the fourth highest rated recruit overall per their recruiting rankings in this 2024 class, which let's remind ourselves, is the best in the history of Oregon football. He chose the Ducks over Bama, Tennessee, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Penn State. Got some fellow Big Ten teams in there. Just just remember that. Michigan State, Penn State, Notre Dame isn't technically a Big Ten team, but they feel Big Ten, don't they? If Oregon can be Big Ten, Notre Dame can be Big Ten. But, of course, they're an independent right now. So a lot of heavy hitters after him. And he's a guy who has a composite score on 24-7 sports of .9753. He's a top 10 corner in the country for this recruiting cycle. He played in the Under, Under Armour All-American game, made a couple of headlines there because it turns out having two tackles, <laughs> I'm kidding, the two tackles didn't do anything for, for him. The 73-yard pick six did, however. He looked pretty darn good there. Did you know that Oregon only has two cornerbacks that are true freshmen coming into this, to this 2024 class? Because the other defensive back who's a cornerback is Sione Lalea. Well, he's a junior college product. So that's not really, I don't know why he's not listed as a transfer. I don't quite understand that, but that's that's where Oregon is at with their defensive backs. There are a lot of guys, and I'll get to the timeline for him and you know when he could be uh, playing, playing for the Ducks, but Dakota Fields is the only other actual corner in this class for, for Oregon. Now, um, I, I don't think he goes to play corner, but Kingston Lopez listed as a linebacker. 65190. That's Brian Addison vibes. So I feel like that could be safety. Probably a little bit tall to play corner. I don't know. I'm just just spitballing ideas. It's February. We can do that sort of stuff. I can do it any sort of any time of year, I suppose. But anyway, one thing of note here, and I, I am I'm not implying I have not heard anything. I would tell you otherwise if I had. He was recruited by Demetrius Martin. That was his primary recruiter to Oregon. Demetrius Martin is no longer on Oregon staff. I'm not saying that he's a prime candidate to transfer out or anything of the sort. I wouldn't be surprised if some movement in this defensive back room takes place once the spring transfer portal window opens uh, in in a couple weeks. But I, I just kind of thought about that and realized, wow, Oregon was able to you know keep him here at least for for the time being 
with Demetrius Martin going over to the staff at, at Michigan State. So that's just something to note, you know, as, as you go forward in his career, whatever it ends up being with the Ducks, if he doesn't see the field, perhaps on the timeline that he is expecting or is it, or that he is wanting to, then that's certainly a tie that that you would watch for. But I don't I don't think that's an immediate, you know, concern for Oregon to have him transferring out or anything like that. It's just something to have in the back of your mind uh, when, when, when considering, you know, where his career ends up going. So when I watch this film, far be it from me to have expertise in the film watching department, but I do a fair share. I report what I can. Tomorrow I'll have Brian Smith on the show. If you have a recruiting question, let me know. Again, YouTube comments or X formerly known as Twitter let me know what the questions are. Brian Smith is on tomorrow. Great film breakdown guy. I'll kind of have my thought. I'll have my thoughts here, and I'll see what Brian thinks about uh, Obadegu as well on on tomorrow's show. But first thing that stands out with him to me is he's not afraid to get hit. He will come up in the run game. I don't know that I would describe him as a full on bruiser or enforcer at corner. But when he comes up to make a tackle, he's not just trying to chop your legs out from under you. He, he's got a physical component to his game, but he's not, you know, a Richard Sherman or Brandon Browner. I'm a Seahawks fan. Um, so those are two former Pac-12 corners that went on to play in the Legion of Boom that were very, very physical at, at the line of scrimmage. Kyrie Jackson, very, very physical, active in the run game as well. I don't think that's you know, a direct comparison. It's not where I landed with, with my comparison for Obadegwu, but certainly that's a component to his game that not every defensive back brings to the field. You know, not every defensive back who was playing corner is someone who you look at on film and go, oh yeah, well, he's actually making an effort to post highlights of him coming up and run support. And when he does so, he's, you know, actually hitting guys and whatnot. It, it, it doesn't always happen there, but He's a guy who, you know, physically is not going to get outrun very much by wide receivers. His, his his hip movement and just acceleration, I think, is quite good. He moves very easily and very fluidly. I think when you watch his huddle highlights, his ball skills can improve a little bit. You know, he had a couple of throws that were not necessarily on target because his coverage was so good, but you're going to go against quarterbacks and receivers that have better timing. You don't think Penix and the Washington receivers this past year, where you have to be able to locate the ball, and it's a hard thing to do, but I think that's an area where where I see growth for him. When I look at his timeline, though, I don't see him playing in 2024. Even though he's a highly recruited guy, I think there are just too many defensive backs on this roster. I mean, all, all of these players are going to be ahead of him on the depth chart. And then a, th a few guys, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see because we haven't really seen him play uh, huge snaps for the Ducks. But Jabbar Muhammad, of course, Jalil Florence, Cam Alexander, the UTSA transfer, I expect him to be ahead. Dante Manning, veteran with the Ducks. Roderick Pleasant, Dalen Austin, Sione Laulea, Nico Reed. That's a lot of defensive backs who are far more experienced and far more proven that are ahead of him. So I think the path to playing time this year is might be limited to the Idaho game. And maybe if a big 10 game against, you know, an Illinois or a Purdue gets out of control, because there are also other guys on the roster, Solomon Davis, Kamari Terrell, Colin Gill, who are at the very least more experienced. They, they weren't as highly touted recruits. Doesn't mean they don't have some potential, but I mean, at the very least, They've been there already, going against college receivers in, in practice and getting reps and knowing the coaches and whatnot. So 
I, I think that the timeline is pretty, pretty tough. I think 2025 is when is when he could start playing. But my comparison for him is pretty high praise. Very high praise. One of the best corners we have seen at Oregon, one of the best pure corners we've seen in the last several years is who I look at and see when when I watch Ifioba Degwu on film. It, it's the comparison that most stood out to me. FanDuel is the fan book. The, the, the fan book? No, not the fan book. The sports book that most stands out to me because it's America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. You can bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and shoot your shot. Oregon's win total is 10 and a half. You can bet or an Oregon football game right now. Right now. Oregon minus one and a half against Ohio State. It's there. You can place a wager on it right now if you feel so inclined. Whether you want to cover yourself if Oregon only wins by a point or if you think they might lose to the Buckeyes who are Certainly a very good team. Or if you think Oregon is rolling all the way, by all means, Oregon minus one and a half. It is at Autzen Stadium. I like the Ducks in that one. I think. Maybe. Possibly. I hope. We'll talk more about Ohio State as uh, the week goes on. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on in the meantime and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. I really set you up for that tease, didn't I? I really laid it out there. Christian Gonzalez is the guy that I compare Ifeo Bedegwu to. You know, Gonzo was a willing tackler, a guy who could come up and and make plays in the run game, but wasn't necessarily an overly physical corner. And I thought his ball skills were were decent, but could always improve. But the way that these two guys move, the ease and fluidity with which they cover receivers and adjust to different routes or double moves or turn and flip their hips to go down the field, running a go route, that that's where I see the comparisons between these two guys. Now, is he going to become Christian Gonzalez right away? No, I mean, there, there's always an adjustment. Though he did play one of the hardest schedules in high school at, at St. Francis in the entire country. Like, they, they were really, really competitive, and they played a lot of big-time teams. And you know, he went to the Under Armour All-American game and the camps and whatnot and showed out very, very well. But Gonzo is the guy that I see when when I watch him on film. If you've taken the time to look at Ifeo Badegu's film, by all means, drop a, cop, a comp in the YouTube comments below. I'm just setting myself up for tongue twisters here on the show as I record this evening. But... That's how I feel about uh, Oregon's fourth highest rated recruit, according to 24-7 Sports. Let's talk hoops here. Let's talk hoops. So I, I had uh, the opportunity, as I always do, to peruse the YouTube comments, as, again, as I always do. And I, I saw someone ask a question about Dana Altman and whether or not Dana is being outcoached this year. I don't agree with this particular assessment, though I do not believe that Dana Altman and his staff have been perfect this year. I've talked about this with regards to Infali Dante and how he's used. I thought in the Oregon State game, Dana Altman was this close, this close, right there, that that close to being outcoached in a 60-58 to 58 win most recently over the Beefs. And so Oregon only won that game after they blew a late lead 
because Enfali Dante is bigger and better than the guys that he was going up against, and Jermaine Kuznard made a heck of a play. That's, and by the way, Matt Prame pointed this out. If you watch that game, the shot clock horn incorrectly sounded after Oregon missed a shot and the ball came off the rim. Number one, props to the players for continuing to play. Number two, props to the officials for letting it go. Because a lot of officials would have seen it, blown it dead, and said, no, 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 it's okay. Just reset the shot. And they would have stopped the sequence. You have no idea what's going to happen from there. But the mad scrum benefited Oregon, arguably won them the game. So shout out to that officiating crew, whoever they are out there. But I think that for Dana Altman, I don't look at this season and say, It's falling short of expectations or the full potential of this team, even with the injuries, because Dana Altman is getting outcoached. I think that the injuries are playing a factor, but I don't see it consistently. You'll have individual games like UCLA beating Oregon. Yep, Mick Cronin outcoached Dana Altman that game because Oregon has got plenty of young talent in addition to veterans like Enfali Dante and Jermaine Kuznard and UCLA is a young team that has kind of started to find their groove, but you shouldn't have lost that game. Just period, point blank, end of story. Yeah, you got outcoached in, in that particular game, but this is not a recurring theme when I watch Oregon. I think that their problem is, is that they don't have a consistent lineup that they've been able to roll out all season long. Like fundamentally, that is a problem. And and, and I don't know what you do about that. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, Dante hasn't been there all year. Biddle's barely played and he's, you know, lost a lot of weight because of the sickness that he had. And so he's not expected to, to play this year. And Mookie Cook has never played. And uh, Keyshawn Bartholomew's out for the year and they lost Zarzuela early in the season. Like the, the depth is just not there. And so I think early in the year, Dana was certainly doing a better job coaching this team and managing the lineups accordingly. And over the second half of the season, it is definitely faltered. But I still don't look at, at Dana Altman and think, yeah, this Oregon team is just you know, way uncompetitive. They're way below their seat. Like they're missing their potential right now. If they don't find a way to to work into the NCAA, to work their way into the NCAA tournament, then yeah, we'll have a conversation, right? That has to that has to take place first. But you know, part of coaching, especially in the modern era, is talent acquisition. And like I was saying with him, Folly Dante, he was just the best player on the court against Oregon State. That's why they won the game. Dane Altman knew that, and he was able to make that work and and find a way to get a win. Certainly, that was not his best coaching effort down the stretch because they they weren't attacking the zone. They weren't doing all this sort of stuff. But I don't think that Oregon's problem consistently is getting out coached. I think a couple times there have been lapses, 100%. But do I think that's a consistent theme? No. No, I, I I do not. And that doesn't mean that I think Dana and Altman's job should be safely secure if they miss the NCAA tournament this year, which is where it is it is headed. That could be a mutual parting of ways. If if they go to the NIT for a third straight season, you got to let the rest of this play out and, and see how it goes. Because if they only lose one more game, they're probably in the NCAA tournament. Are they going to do that? No, I, I do not think so. They are not consistent enough. But I have a hard time placing it all. I'll place 75% of the blame at the feet of the coach. But boy, it's really, really tough 
he was talking about this in a presser leading up to the Stanford game on Thursday. It's really, really hard to say the coaching is the biggest problem when you know other coaches have been working and tweaking these lineups and rotations and substitutions since the start of the year, and he's had to go about it with a different lineup every other week because guys are not available and guys are available and then they're not available again. Like that, that's that's just a brutal situation to try to manage. So I think he's done a capable job. He's done a good job. He has not done his best job. He has not done a great job. His best coaching effort that I remember is the Sweet 16 run, the last one, not or the second to last one that Oregon had, 2019. That team was not going to be an at-large. They coached their way through the NC or through the Pac-12 tournament. They won it with Peyton Pritchard, Kenny Wooten, and Lou King, and those guys. Paul White was kind of a nice team. They got in as a 12 seed. They beat Wisconsin. Then they beat UC Irvine. Then they lost to the eventual national champions in Virginia. That was a peak Dana Altman coaching effort. Does he have one of those in the tank here? We're going to find out. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.